If you would, please turn in your Bible to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I'm just going to read one verse. Verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to sing and just be together and enjoy fellowship and um, be able to, to worship in freedom that we have. We thank you so much. You have blessed us. You have blessed this country. And, Lord, we so often take it for granted. But we do thank you. I pray that you would bless our time together around your word. May we not focus on so much just my opinions and even the application. Lord, help us to focus on what you have to say for us and for our church. We thank you for your love for Daniel's Bible Church and the faithfulness that you've shown Daniel's Bible Church down through the years. We just thank you. We are blessed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about the church and the proper attitudes within the church. And there are certain attitudes that we need to that we need to cultivate in the church because attitudes reflect the condition of the heart. And when God saves a person, we say that they are born again because He changes their heart. And there's a, it's a heart change. And the Bible says that that is the, the, the major part of man. That's what needs to be changed. The Bible says that all of the issues of, the, of life comes from the heart. And Jesus himself said from the mouth, uh, the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. It's going to, what's in the heart is going to come out, Jesus said. And David, in this passage here that we just read, Psalm 51, David understands that the problem of man is the heart. It's within the heart. And the condition of the heart. In fact, in this context, I'll just put a little bit of context here. This is after David is confronted by the prophet Nathan. David was confronted about his sin, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And David then confesses all of this before the Lord and he pleads to the Lord, Lord, give me a clean heart. He recognizes that's the problem, the clean heart. And he recognizes that the heart tends to, to wander. The heart tends to, to go astray. And so he says, renew in me a, a steadfast spirit. So cleanse my heart and put a focus in my life, in my heart, upon you. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. But we recognize throughout Scripture that Christ said, every evil thing comes from the heart. That's the passage that we read earlier. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? He goes on to say, if we want to know the the spiritual condition, we look at the attitudes of the heart. And that really is a, a pretty good reflection. We tend to think a little bit more highly of ourselves than we, we ought to think. I liked the little quote from J.C. Ryle. He said, the cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. The more we see ourselves, the more we recognize within ourselves our, our sinfulness. You can say, well, I'm not that bad. But really, that's just our sinful heart deceiving us and when we we compare ourselves with each other we 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 are pretty good people 
But the Bible tells us that we are sinful people. And and we don't have to look very far. Do we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Mm, That's a hard one. Jesus said this. He said, it is my meat and my drink to do the will of my Father. Boy, that's important. That raises everything on a higher level. To do everything. That's my food. It's just to obey God. You know, when I go to the doctor, he doesn't just look at me and say, hey, you look pretty good, so you clear you can go on home. No, he pulls out his stethoscope and he wants to hear what my heart sounds like. He wants to hear me breathing in and out with the lungs. He wants to take some x-rays, what's going on inside, maybe an MRI or some kind of scans with, you know, CAT scan or what's going on inside because that's a better predictor or a, a detector, if you will, a diagnosis of what's going on in, in the body. Because we may look good on the outside. And the same could be said with, with churches. We have to deal with the internal systems of the church, the church's motivations, the church's attitudes. Those internal systems are a better indicator of the health of the church. It is a better way to diagnose than just looking at the church and they, and we see a, a large number of people and we say, oh, they must be a, a good, healthy church. That's not a good indication. Because many churches, they look good, shiny and nice on the outside. They have a facade of, at least in the public, of doing all these good things and activities. But we know, we've seen artificial spirituality. And Christ addressed that in His day. And I'm afraid so many churches have an emphasis on the wrong thing, emphasizing the entertainment element of the church, superficial excitement, artificial busyness, we might say, self-centered or man-centered kind of worship, shallow teaching, teaching that doesn't really go much beyond the gospel. They're not really making disciples of Jesus Christ like they're supposed to make. They're certainly not living to the glory of God. Sounds good. There's a lot of good things on the outside. But what's going on in the heart? When God changes a person, He changes the heart. You are born again. That's from the inside. You have a new nature, new desires, new values. And that leads to then new actions. But those heart conditions, they they have to be healthy. They, it starts inside. So evaluating the attitude of the heart is a better way to examine the health of a church. And the question then is, what are the proper biblical attitudes for a church? And we've been going through this. So let me just review real quick. We've seen five of them so far. The attitude of humility. That's brokenness before God. And useful so that we can be useful for Him. There's an attitude of obedience. That's God's will, not my will be done, but God's will be done. An attitude of love, sacrificing of of self, sacrificial giving of, of self and time and money. There's an attitude of unity within the church. That's united over doctrine. That's united over practice. There's a unity. And then there's an attitude of service. That's just a willingness to serve. Now, we've gone over those. And number six is where we come to today. Number six is there's an attitude of joy. An attitude of joy. Now, this isn't the the Pollyanna, syrupy, sweet, superficial joy that everything is sunshine and and roses and, and rainbows. Kids live in that little bubble. 
Sometimes people, you'll, you'll see, they get caught up and everything is just syrupy sweet. That's not the biblical kind of joy. Joy is an outward expression or an outward exuberance to an inward peace. It comes from a peace that comes out. And folks, this really is the engine of the church. This is where things begin to happen. But that's the, the real engine. If you imagine the church as a, a car or the engine of that car, that's what drives everything. The joy. There's an exuberance there. But it comes from peace. Now, we'll look at the peace part in just a minute. But we have to have biblical joy. It has to be a real joy. A knowledge deep within the person or deep within the soul that all is well and ultimately all is going to be glorious. That just excites us. Now, the Scripture gives us a lot of information about this kind of joy. The Scripture says that it is a gift from God. When you come into His kingdom, in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, he says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not the physical elements of the kingdom. He doesn't just provide this kind of stuff, but He provides righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? And in John 17, verse 13, he says, I speak, and he's praying to his heavenly Father, he says, I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. It's a gift from God, this joy. It's a wonderful thing. And number two, we see that it's a result of reading the Scripture. Now, this is amazing to me, but David points it out in in, uh, Psalm 19. He said, "The, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. Rejoicing the heart. Now, you don't have to read. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to read, read very long in Scripture and it begins to rejoice your heart. It begins to renew and encourage your heart. John said, these things I've written so that your joy may be complete. When we study the Word of God, it steers us in the right direction, the right course of life. We begin to obey that. We experience that joy in knowing that we're pleasing God. Fulfilling our purpose here on this earth. There's a joy that is naturally in the Christian life. But it's also commanded. It's commanded. Be joyful. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And folks, that's a matter of focus. Joy. Joy. We discover God's Word. We live in this joy. Uh, We discover God's Word. We discover God's holiness. And it produces an excitement in our life. Like what the prophet Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's where the engine starts. There's a joyness, a joyousness, a rejoicing in the believer's life, a biblical joy that is there. Now let's apply this. Because here's what happens. There's things that come along that steal our joy. That just rob us of our joy. Most of the time it's circumstances. The Bible doesn't talk about circumstances stealing our joy. It doesn't. We have to hedge against that. How do you do that? Let me give you a couple ways. Number one, you have to recognize that life is difficult and you're going to have problems. Job said that as the sparks fly upward, man is just born to trouble. We're going to have trouble. And if we just think that we're going to uh, live this life joy uh, with all joy and trouble free, well, we're just mistaken. 
We live in a sin-cursed world, and we have to recognize things are going to steal our joy. But here's the key. Proverbs 24, 16, Solomon reminds us, he says, A righteous man falls seven times, but he rebounds. He gets right back up. There's a positive attitude. There's a, a positive outlook in his life that even though he fails, even though he may fall into sin, even though the circumstances of life may not be good at certain points, he will bounce back. He'll bounce back. There's a resiliency to the Christian life. And we need to cultivate that. You need to cultivate it in, that, in your life. Because trouble is going to come. It just is. And the older I get, the more I recognize that. And so I just, you just kind of anticipate those things are going to, to happen. So we build in a proper perspective or the proper outlook on life. Number two, here's what steals our joy. And, and that's just sin. But most of our sin is just self-focused. It's just being self-focused. We get so bogged down in negative emotions and ingrowned and self-contemplating, overanalyzing everything, reading into everything, all the circumstances of life, being overly introspective, not really trusting God, but trusting ourselves to solve the problem. God maybe not... Is, is looking out for us. And folks, we will become miserable people if we wallow in that kind of thing. And that's just sin. Self-focus. Self-focus. So what we do is we choose. We choose to be joyful people. We choose to be excited about what God is doing. And we say, there's nothing that's going to rob me of this joy. There's nothing. I'm going to choose to be joyous. And this circumstances, these people, they're not going to rob me of this joy, of the joy of life. And that joy is going to be there because of the peace. So we have an attitude of joy. And next is an attitude of peace. An attitude of peace. Peace is an inward contentment, an inward contentment of that everything is under God's sovereign control we can be at peace we can be at peace let me just give you some bible knowledge here god calls us to peace god calls us to peace first corinthians 7 verse 15 god gives us his peace jesus said before he left his disciples he says peace i leave with you my peace i give to you That's an amazing statement. He gives us peace. He's leaving it there with his disciples, with us, all of those who are in Christ. In Philippians 4, 4 and 7, it says, be anxious for nothing. So we know that element of it. That's not, that's, that's just peace. Don't, not being anxious. He says, and the peace of God will, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds. He gives us that peace. We try to find it in so many other places. But God says, look, come to me. It's free. I'll give you that. But we are to, to live in peace as well. You can see the scripture references there, Second Corinthians 13. He says, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. First Thessalonians 5, 13. We're again to live in peace with one another. But also, number four, look at that. It's a little hard to see. I try to get so much information. It's probably, you can't even see it. So that means you need to sit closer, doesn't it? Yeah. But the fourth one there, listen to this one. We are to learn to be at peace. Paul said, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. 
I've learned. And that's just the hard knocks of life. It comes to the point, I can trust God here. I can trust God. And we're called to be peacemakers as well in uh, Matthew chapter 5. But, but we're to learn peace. We're to learn peace. We are, are to be at peace with God. That causes us to be at peace within ourselves. When we are at peace with our maker, our creator, we're, we, we know that we're pleasing him. There brings a peace to our own life. And then we become peacemakers. It's part of the beatitudes that we've been looking at the past couple of weeks. We can be at peace with ourselves. We can be at peace with God. The perfect picture of peace is what? We've been seeing a lot this week, at least on Facebook. There's been a lot of pictures of babies that are asleep, right? And many times they're in the womb. Some of the pictures that you look, they're so clear, you can't tell if the baby's born or if the baby's still in the womb. The pictures are so clear. And it shows you there's a real baby in there. It's not just a fetus. But there is a peace to that baby. And you look at those little pictures. It just You just think they are completely dependent upon their mother. Completely dependent upon their parents to provide everything. They're just sleeping in peace. That's peace. Now peace is going to look different. Uh, the older we get in different stages of life. It might look different. And, we, and it will never be perfect peace because we're here on this earth. Yet we are to have an attitude of peace. That is complete dependence upon our Heavenly Father. Complete dependence. And we learn that. We grow in that. We become stronger. We, we get our legs. It's like a, a child. He has to learn to walk before he can run. And he has to become strong enough. And folks, it's the same way with us. It's the same way with us. But peace, is, it comes from that dependence upon God, knowing that we can trust God in every circumstance of life. Now, let's just apply this. There's two elements here. There's a peace with self. What robs the peace within ourselves, remember that sin robs our peace. In the psalm that we're in, Psalm 51, David, he cries out to the Lord because he sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba. He had killed Uriah. And he cries out to the Lord. Verse 12, he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. That joy can be restored. What took David's joy away? Didn't take his salvation away, but what took his joy away was sin. His sin. He was miserable during that time uh, when he was in this sinful state. He was miserable. And he says, Restore to me the joy of of your salvation. We need to remember that. In fact, sometimes we, we just need to recognize, look, I'm in a sinful state here. I'm in a sinful state of mind. And you just need to go to the Lord. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation, your salvation. Number two, don't defend your rights unnecessarily. This is where this world is. Defending every right. Everything's a right now. Christians, we come along and we can say, you know, we can be at peace here. I can give. I can be flexible here. But when we stand up, oh, this is my right, especially unnecessarily, just agitating society, agitating everybody else, unnecessarily, we, we just cause trouble. There's no peace there. We need to remind ourselves then sometimes, I think, that I'm at peace with God, I'm at peace with myself, and I can be a peacemaker. And we need to do that. And we need to be at peace with other people. 
so we have peace with ourselves, peace with, with others. We need to cultivate relationships within our family. We need to cultivate that peace. Instead of being agitators. I know some of you. Just agitators. Robbing people of peace. We can be peacemakers. We don't always have to agitate and increase the trouble. We can come and smooth things over. There's a a love that Christians can bring to a situation, a perspective that Christians can bring to a situation that doesn't agitate, doesn't foment. It brings soothing comfort. Folks, we need to have an attitude of peace, especially within the church, especially within the church. When we are completely content knowing that we are dependent upon God, God is in charge, God has this, we don't have to get anxious, and we trust in the Lord, and you know what? We can spread that. We can spread that peace to others and be a peacemaker. Let me give you another one. An attitude of thankfulness. An attitude of thankfulness. Now, believers recognize that we are nothing, we have nothing, we can add nothing In fact, we come to God completely dependent upon God. So anything that we get, folks, anything that we get is just grace. It's God's mercy and kindness to us. And so we are the most deeply appreciating people in in the world because we recognize we're nothing. Paul has to remind us of that. I want you to turn to this verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just a reminder, you, you already know this verse. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul reminds us of this. And he says, In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for your life. You want to know God's will for your life? Give thanks. Be a thankful person. And there's a couple of things that Paul mentions here. It's, it's amazing. Again, but this is a command. This is a command. Uh, he is commanding us to give thanks. Why does he have to command us to give thanks? <laughs> Because we're spoiled. Because we get spoiled. We just do. We take advantage of the grace of God and we just deserve this. He kind of owes us a little bit. Because we we work for Him or, or whatever. But we become that kind of, of person that we just become spoiled. You say, well, I'm not spoiled. Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty much spoiled. God is so gracious to us. Uh, he is so good to us. Number two, we're to give thanks in everything, in every circumstances of life, in the good times, in the bad times, in the painful times, the scary times, the difficult times, we're to give thanks in those times as well. I think so much we're, we're like the girl who wanted a bicycle. Daddy, I want a bicycle. So dad runs out and buys a bicycle. No, daddy, I, I wanted the pink bicycle. So he runs out, takes that, takes it, trades it out, gets a pink one. No, daddy, I, I wanted the one with the banana seat. So he takes that one, gets the banana seat on it. Now, I don't know if banana seats are in. Are, they, are those out? You probably haven't seen banana seats in a while. <laughs> haven't seen them for a while. My wife will correct me later. And then, no, Daddy, I wanted the one with the bell on it. No, Daddy, I wanted the 10-speed. We'll never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. And we just need anything, folks, this side of hell... This side of hell we should be grateful for because we deserve nothing but hell. And God is so gracious. You know, I just reminded of David. We're talking about David in Psalms. But David 
many of his psalms starts out with woe is me and and look at the wicked there they seem to be triumphing and and they, they seem to be prospering and, and there's evil reigning all over the earth and he's he's talking to the Lord but the longer David talks the longer David's these psalms are always 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 he winds up because he has the right perspective he winds up with the right attitude because and he, he winds up just giving thanks to the Lord you know we can look around it's according to what we choose to look at we can say yep the world is going to hell in a handbasket if that's the way we want to look. And that's true. It's true. We can look at it. But we should always, always, always wind up going back. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I like uh, Paul Tripp said that a joyful life of grace toward others grows best in the soil of gratitude. That's so true. The soil of gratitude. Now let's just apply this a little bit. Number one. I read an article uh, this week. Actually, Caleb sent it to me. This article was talking about when you are thankful, just those two little words it says that it will change your life. It puts you in a different category. It causes you to be healthy. You have a different perspective of things. But they say you build into your life the habit of saying those two words. Thank you. Okay? And then that changes your perspective. But it's just the opposite. It's true. We have to have the right perspective. And as far as application, that's it. We have the right perspective. And if you have the right perspective, this perspective that is shown to us from Scripture, that's going to create the two words that we're looking for. Thank you. Thank you to others and thank you to God. The right perspective comes first. So we have the right perspective. And then that will cultivate in the heart a right. uh, It's just saying thank you. Thank you for everything. Number two, don't complain. You know, that robs our thankfulness. When we begin to complain, it just robs, it produces an ingratitude within us. There's just way too much complaining. Way too much complaining. I found myself last week, actually it was Monday, Monday night, we went to mom and dad's, Ruthie's mom and dad's, and had a, just a wonderful time with the family. There were several family members that came in celebrating a birthday and Mom fixes a wonderful meal. It was a wonderful meal. It was a great meal. But mom does something a little bit strange with her ranch dressing. I don't know exactly what she does. And I found myself. I come home. I'm, I'm driving home. I'm driving home. Just had a wonderful time. Wonderful time with family. And I focus on the ranch dressing that I had put on my salad. That's the way we are, isn't it? We just focus upon that, that one bad thing. And I, and I caught myself, what are you doing? What are you, your life is good. You know what? We, we tend to focus and we, and, and complaining, complaining just does that for us. Number three, we examine ourselves. I love this quote. If you are not a thankful person is because you think you deserve better circumstances than you have. You think you deserve better circumstances than you have. But everything this side of hell, folks, we should be thankful for. We live within God's grace. So we have an attitude. We need to cultivate within Daniel's Bible Church an attitude of thankfulness. And then number nine, and we'll stop with this one, is an attitude of self-discipline. An attitude of self-discipline. And it really is an attitude. It has to affect our life. 
discipline, you would think, well, discipline was, is built into the Christian life. And it is. Because we join up to be disciples of Christ. And within being a disciple of Christ, it just means a certain amount of discipline, right? You just automatically think that. And you'd be right. We discipline ourselves for godliness. Discipline is, is just simply conforming to the rules. Conforming to what God says, what God desires, what God wants us to do. God's value systems, we conform to that. One verse that I want you to turn, uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we need to keep this verse in mind. It's a good verse. We need to see ourselves as this kind of Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? You've got all these runners. They are all running, right? We're all running. But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way as to win. I think some of us join this Christian life and we just, we just say, okay, I'm in now, boy, I'm good. We don't run to win. He goes on to say, this is the tenacity that you're to have, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. That's our word. In all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. And he's referring to the old Olympic games. And they would put a wreath on your head for, for winning. But we, what do we get? An imperishable wreath on our heads. That kind of recognition. This is eternity at stake here. Verse 26. Therefore, I, I run, and Paul is using himself as an example, I run in such a way as not without aim. I, I, I'm not just running helter-skelter all over any, any place. He says, I box in such a way as not just beating the air. He says, verse, this is the key verse, verse 27, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And that's good. We have to discipline ourselves. There's a certain amount of discipline. You say, well, what do we discipline ourselves in? We sometimes don't have the goal or we don't think that it's important, but it is important. We discipline our body for the sake of sanctification let me give you some illustrations. Uh, it takes tremendous discipline. We have to discipline our eyes. Job reminds us of that. We have to discipline our tongue. James said the tongue is a, an evil. Uh, we have to discipline our appetite, our thoughts, taking every thought captive. We have to discipline our time. We have to discipline our money as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We have to discipline our focus, keeping our eyes on the things above. We are to discipline ourselves. I have a, a nephew just this week. Well, last week we found out. He, he's been in the, the army uh, as an army ranger. That's what he wanted to be. It's really his whole life he just wanted to do this. And, and it's a hard thing. He would go in, do some training. We would get to see him every once in a while. He's been in for two, two years. And he's been working toward this goal. And it would be a, a special ops kind of position and as an army ranger. And he's done so much to work toward this thing. And it's so much discipline. And we've thought so many times as a family, we've prayed for him, but so many times I'm thinking, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. I don't know if that young boy is, is disciplined enough. We found out this week that he made it. And, and I think 
You, you know, we as Christians, do we work that hard? Do we strive? Do we really discipline ourselves? Do we really discipline our eyes, our tongue, our appetite, our thoughts? Or... Listen, a, a person that's 30 pounds overweight is not going to win a marathon. It's just not. And the world looks at us and they say, why, why do you care so much? What does it matter so much? You're, you're a good person. You're pretty decent. You've got good morals. That's all that matters, right? No, we live to the glory of God. That's what matters. Our sanctification, being thankful in everything, that's God's will for us. We can't just be like the world. We're distinct from the world. So, let's go to application. We run to win. We run to win. We think that we're just automatically, once you become a Christian, you're just a, an adult and you just run. You can do everything you want to do. But no, there's a growing process. And that growing process is a disciplined process. It just is. Study. Asking questions. Memorizing verses. Focusing on Scripture. Focusing on prayer. Doing due diligence in our spiritual work. Number two, we have to recognize and take spiritual battles seriously. There is such a casualness to sin these days within the church. Not necessarily the angels Bible. Church is the church in general. We don't take spiritual battles seriously enough. We can't afford to lose one spiritual battle. David lost one spiritual battle. He's standing on his rooftop and he looks down and he just looks. He sees. He didn't control his eyes. He didn't discipline his eyes. There's probably other things besides this, but he didn't discipline his eyes. He sees. He says, hey, I want her. He lost that battle. And he struggled for that length of time. And he says, Lord, I've sinned against you. Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. I lost it. Because of one foolish spiritual battle. And we have to remind ourselves. This is a good, another good quote. He says this. People who never discipline themselves to live according to biblical principles. They abandon scripture by, for worldly alternatives. If we do not discipline ourselves according to Scripture, what we do is we, oh, I tried that Christianity and it didn't work for me. And folks, I see so many people that are just uh, have abandoned Scripture because they thought that they tried a little bit. They gave it a, a good shot. Ah, it just wasn't for me. Foolish. As though the Scripture is, is not capable. The Scripture is... Not sufficient to change us, to work in our life. So they abandon for other alternatives that the world is going to provide. Folks, we have to have, as a church, we have to self-discipline, an attitude of self-discipline. Let's just stop. Evaluating the attitudes of a heart is a better way of examining the healthiness of a church, the health of a church. We look at these things and we say, yeah, okay, I can, I can better judge now. We, we go and we, we see so many churches. We hear about what's happening down the road. and This church and that church. And there's so much excitement. But when Christ comes and He visits the church in Revelation. Remember the book of Revelation? Chapter 3. He visits seven churches there. And He looks at these churches. And he always says, I see your behavior, but... And He goes on to, to criticize. Rings true is, but you're lukewarm. 
Now that's an attitude. It's not just, oh, I see what you're doing. You're looking good on the outside, but look at your attitude. Lukewarm. The attitudes reflect what's going on in the heart. It's a better gauge of the healthiness of a church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace in our life. Lord, we recognize that we are so easily swayed. We're so much like David. We just look. We're coveting this church and that activity and what those people do. And Father, we, we fail to look at our own life. We fail to look at our own heart and examine our, ourselves. Lord, you are so patient when we do this. You were so patient with David the, the whole time he's in that sinful state of mind. Lord, you didn't waver. You're always there. Your sovereignty was still, you were still in control. It was just David that was messed up. Lord, so much of that is true with our own life. We get so scared. We get looking at everything else. Sin causes us to be so introspective. We get so worried and we forget our peace, the peace that you've given us. Lord, may we exercise these things, discipline our hearts, discipline these things into our lives, that the world looks at us and they say, this is a church at peace. They recognize the sovereign control of God. And even though the world is, doesn't have peace, the world seems to be falling apart, Lord, we can be thankful, we can be at peace, and have joy in our life. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.